welcome to The Ralph Report with Ralph Garman. Hey there, boys and girls. Welcome to The Ralph Report for a Friday. Made it to the end of the week. It's March 2nd, and today's a very special day on The Ralph Report. We're blowing out the usual show, and we're doing a very special interview today with a, uh, a dear, dear friend of mine. It was less than a week ago, Sunday night, when I was working on the Ralph Report, uh, prepping it for the Monday show, and I got a weird message from someone who was at the Alex Theater in Glendale, California, who was ready to see the second show that Kevin Smith was supposed to perform, and let me know that an ambulance had been called and Kevin was taken to the hospital for what they said they thought was food poisoning. So at the time, I was obviously concerned, and uh, I reached out to my buddy Kevin. I couldn't get a hold of him. And so I got a hold of his wife, Jennifer, and she was on her way to the hospital. And she didn't know much more than I did, but then she got back to me and uh, she told me, in fact, that Kevin had had a massive heart attack. And when something happens like that to someone you love, the uh, the bottom drops out of your world and everything kind of stops and you go into a tailspin. And it was a crazy couple days. Uh, he had a procedure done immediately at the hospital because of a complete blockage of his artery. And I saw him the next day in the hospital. It was remarkable how um, healthy and in good spirits and in good humor he was. And I knew at that time that Kevin had dodged a bullet and everyone who loved him, um, those close to him and those who are fans of his work, we all dodged a bullet too. So today we're going to talk to Kevin Smith. It's his first uh, real interview since the heart attack. And we sat down and talked about the events of that night and what he went through at the hospital. And we also talked about his life and his uh, outlook on the world after the fact. And the conversation was so good and so long. What we're going to do is we're going to split it up into two shows. Today, it's going to be all of the events of that evening and the time he spent in the hospital. And then on Monday, I'll play the second half of the interview, which is really... Where do you go from here? How has it changed your life? Uh, how has it changed the way you think, the way you feel? And I think you're going to be interested by Kevin's responses. Here's what surprised me. That after this life-changing event, how little Kevin Smith has changed. He has the same sense of humor. He has the same incredibly optimistic outlook on life. I was blown away by his quiet and dignified resignation that he had when he faced death. And after this conversation that we had, that you're about to hear the first half of, it struck me that the reason he was able to be so at peace with the possibility of his death was that his life was really well-lived and he was completely engaged in his life and pretty much lived it on his own terms. And I thought, wow, there's a lesson. I guess the way to really be satisfied with your life is to use that as an example. And he is an example to so many of us and an inspiration to many of us. And regardless of what you think about his work, and I know he has his detractors. I certainly am not one of them. I was a fan even before I was his friend. But uh, you cannot deny how well the man lives and how he is an inspiration to others to do things that are positive and to do things that are creative. And I think that you, like me, will take away 
lessons you can apply to your own life when you hear this man talk about what he went through less than a week ago. Here is the first half of my interview with my dear, dear friend, my babble brother, Mr. Kevin Smith. This is a big deal. This is a big get, as they say in the business, for a little little show that could, like the Ralph Report, to get a star of this magnitude, who's in the center of the pop culture universe right now. He's, he's the, he is the biggest newsmaker in entertainment. And to have an exclusive interview with him, well, frankly, I don't know how I got so lucky, but please welcome to the Ralph Report, Mr. Kevin Smith, everyone. You paid through the nose for it. You offered the most. <laughs> we don't pay for interviews here at the Ralph Report. Ralph offered me $100, which was far more than CNN or ABC <laughs> News offered, so here I am. Actually, I was getting a little uh, blowback on social media. From for what? A, from a few people who were saying, oh, way to capitalize on your friend's sickness. That's kind of rude, man. I don't see I don't, that I don't see that how that is. And I just want to say, first of all, Kevin suggested this sit down. Yeah. So it was to his credit that he's a good enough friend who said, look, I'm going to talk to somebody. I'll just talk to you. And, and you I, have the, you I have liked first. that the other day you were like the person who was like, oh, yeah, I saw him. He's great. Like he's, he's sitting up and blah, blah, blah. Like that was beautiful. I got zero fucking problem with that. And I did. I said to Ralph, I was like, a lot of people are asking me to do an interview, but like we should do it. We should do it on the Ralph report and stuff. That way they can pull from there if they like. Well, so, I yes, you being here with me. Or me being here, letting me be here with you, because um, we are in stately Smith Manor. In the fat cave. Thank God, both alive. Thank yes. God you're not here sitting there going like, that's where he used to sit. Oh, now he don't sit, he lays in the fucking ground. <laughs> it's not fucking funny, man. It's got to be, otherwise you sit there and go like, oh, fuck. There are moments since it happened where, you know, I'm sitting at my desk or laying in bed or something like that, and, you know, it just dawns on you that, like, you well, you very nearly fucking died. I can't imagine that feeling. But then I I rationalize it all the time. Like now since then, where because you know, my kid was really busted up, bro. Like she's never. When I was a child, uh, we had a big family. Mm-hmm. Like not just my family. We only had five people in my family. But like my mom had brothers and sisters. My dad had brothers and sisters. So we had cousins. And every weekend we were doing some family event and shit like that. Right. But when you have a big family like that, that means as a kid, you spend a lot of time in hospitals as well because I come from a sick people as well. So my grandparents would be in the hospital, my uncles, my fucking aunts, my mom, my dad. So growing up, I spent time in hospitals just part and parcel with childhood. And it's boring as shit. You go to the gift shops. And back in the day, I remember going to the phone booth and constantly just making fucking prank phone calls just to pass the time. <laughs> and then eventually you get to go home because what happens is like the parents usher you in. And they're like, look, they're here to see you, Uncle Joe. And he's like, all right. And then... The parents want to the waiting room. Exactly. And you fuck off to boredom. So I've had lots of experience growing up with that simple aspect of life of like of of people get sick and people fucking die. I've been to many funerals as a kid and stuff. It was just part and parcel of my childhood. Harley doesn't have that in her world. Like, you know, three people in her that that are closely related to her, like have died since she's been born. right? Right. Like her grandma Peg, but she lived in Florida, her uncle Matt, and he lived in Florida. And my my dad and he lived in Florida. So she would see them when she saw them, but there wasn't this like, Oh my God, we just saw them last month. They like, weren't constants in her life. Totally. So she, when they passed and you know, my dad died 13 years ago, Harley was a pup. So she barely, you know, it barely had an effect on her. Right. I mean, she knew like, you know, we we're like, grandpa's not gonna be around anymore and stuff, but like her, you know, she, she was a kid. So this was the biggest like gut punch in the kid's life. 
She's, you know, she, all of it was terrifying. And all it's of it the was, biggest just into anyone's life because when your parents go, that's a major fucking ordeal. That's a big thing. She, yeah, it it affected her pretty hardcore. She, you know, she's just not used to that. I mm-hmm. mean, she's used to her dad's been like fucking overweight his whole life, but I've never been like I'm going to the doctor, I'm going to the hospital. Like I've been pretty healthy. I thought pretty healthy. Yeah. Um. So for her, it was like traumatic, really traumatic for me. I mean, it was traumatic for Jen and Harley. Uh, it probably did more to age them than it did me. Um, like uh, Harley wouldn't leave that night. She slept there and stared at me all night, you know, to make sure I didn't die. And also to do what the doctor said, because they were like, you got to lay on your back. And I can't sleep like that. So I was laying on my side and she would run out and tell the nurse, like, he's laying on his side. And they'd come in, they'd be like, I was like, you, I don't need a rat. Snitches get stitches. Yeah, right here in the hospital. <laughs> God damn it. It'll be convenient. So yeah, it's it scared the shit out of her. It it didn't scare the shit out of me so much, but there are moments periodically where it does occur to me because I had to tell the kid like she was like beside herself, and I, you know I was like when I came home I said kiddo, like I, I appreciate it and, and and thank you, but you gotta understand like I'm close to death every day. I leave this house, I'm close to death. I get in the car, I'm close to death. I get on a plane, I'm close to death. Like there's the you know there's a thin line between the living and the dead oh, nice and, pep talk dr doom thank you that was a really i never said i was up. a good father <laughs> yeah she was like this isn't helping so she was like i guess you're right but still specter of death is always upon me child <laughs> hey man my middle name's death <laughs> um but when you know when there are quiet moments and stuff like that it's happened a few times where you know uh, suddenly i was like that's a nice thing to say like, hey, man, we all, you know, it's 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 like uh, every man dies, not every man lives, or mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah. Or, you know, what what do they say on fucking Game of Thrones? Like, uh, uh, fucking Volgumadalus or something like death comes for. I forget what their fucking thing is, but you know, it's just something you say to yourself, right? Everybody says it to make themselves not break down in abject terror because we're of, all we're all frightened and to death, fragile literally. as fuck. Like all of us could go at a, any second, yeah. right? Anything can happen. So in those moments where it occurs to me, I'm like, that's just some shit to say about like, I could die in a plane, in a car. I was like, you literally almost fucking died. You're a medical professional. Like, like it's a bigger deal than you are like, playing into or letting on and you know maybe there's a part of me that's just like hey i ain't got time for the fucking keeping it arm's length yeah and not like you know i don't want to a lot of people online were like what's gonna i can't wait to see what he does now like what he's gonna write like now that he's had this near-death experience but i don't i don't know that it's gonna inform everything i do like suddenly i'm like oh james on bob go to the hospital like (laughs) No, like it's something that happened to me and it definitely, it, it gives me perspective on life, but I've always, to be fair, you know me, yeah. I've always been the fucking, you know, the, the unexamined, was Plato said, the unexamined life is not worth living. That's my whole leitmotif in life. All I do is examine life. Like right. even after the heart attack, like I talk things through, like I got on social media and was like, Hey, here's what happened and blah, blah, blah. That's my way of dealing with everything. Good or bad is to share it. I'm an oversharer or whatever. Fuck. When and, I saw you in your hospital gown on social media, I said, he can't not do this. Yeah. That is who the man is. He it would have made me sicker to share to not share the details of his life. Well, honestly, there was a part of me that was like a big part of me. That's like, OK, I didn't know what was fucking going on. Like, you know, I've recounted the story where I I. I after the first show, we were recording two shows for a comedy special. After the first show, 
you know, I said hi to the people that were there in attendance and, and, and whatnot. And then I grabbed some milk and chit chat with people and then started feeling unwell. And I was like, I, I felt like this like tingling. I was like, oh, I think I just got a fucking cold or something. Then I started feeling like a little like nauseous. And then I was like, you know, I'm like an animal when I get sick. I'm like, oh, I just want to go be by myself and go in the dark and shit. And so I asked like Jordan and, and Emily were there. And I said, hey, man, can you like give me the room? I'm just going to sit by the sink because I think I got to throw up or something like that. So I was sitting at the sink waiting to throw up. Didn't happen. Then I was like, I'm going to lay on the ground, man. Laid on the ground. And that's when I started getting more nauseous. Like, I was like, here it comes. And I was trying to puke because I knew I'd feel better. Right. So... I didn't have a bucket or anything. I grabbed like a spare hockey jersey was on the floor and I just threw up into that a few times and it was all bile. There was no like real matter or anything like that. So I hadn't eaten that much. So I was chalking it up to that. I was like, I didn't want to eat before the shows. I had a sandwich like five hours ago and shit. So maybe it's that, blah, blah, blah. And after I threw up, I felt pretty good for a second. I was like, all right, there you go. Now you're feeling better and shit. But then all of a sudden it started like I couldn't feel well and then I couldn't catch my breath. Like that was the weird thing. Like They tell you like, you know, a uh, heart attack, you know, it's coming. You feel pain in your chest, like an elephant sitting on your chest and your numb, your arm goes numb. Right. That did not happen to me. And that's why I never once in a million years thought, oh my God, this is a heart attack. Even not though everybody gets the same symptoms. You find out. I after didn't know the fact. that. Yeah. Like, you know, how often do you pay attention to this shit? Even though my father dropped dead, 67 of a massive heart attack, there was no real discussion. It was, it was not like, let's post game. <laughs> On what might have happened if dad lived. Like Let's he go died. To the tape and yeah. see what he should look for next time. He had a bad heart and his heart attacked him and that was that. Yeah. Like fucking what are you going to do? So for me, the whole time I was feeling unwell, it never occurred to me that like I'm having a heart attack. I just thought that I was mucusy. At one point I was like, I think I got some bad milk. I drank some milk before and I think the milk was bad. And then I thought like maybe it's mucusy from like smoking. Uh, sometimes if I smoke two, three joints like within an hour or two hours or something like that, I get a lot of mucus buildup. Mm. So I was like, maybe it's that. And then uh, I was like, uh, like sweating profusely. And I sweat all the time. I sweat when I breathe. But this was like a different kind of like cold sweat coming through and shit. And Emily at one point came in. She's like, you all right? And I was like, can you dry me off? And she does my hair. So she brought the hair dryer and she couldn't fucking get me dry. And she was mm-hmm. trying. And then Jordan was like, are you okay? Do you want to cancel the show? And I was like, no, we got to do the show. We got to do the show. And she's like, you don't have to do the show. You're supposed to do one hour per show. You did two hours for the first show, so you have the entire fucking special. The producers of Comedy Dynamics, Brian's like, we got it. We don't even have to do this. If he's sick, don't do it. But I was like, the show must go on. Thank God that, you know, at a certain point, I was like, fuck the show. Because it's the dumbest expression in the world, by the way, the show must go on. But it's part of our business, the foundation of our business. And here I was going like, well, the first thing I ever learned about show business, probably from Bugs Bunny, is the show must go on. So... I'm, I I say, uh, hey, man, I need a couch. Like, I can't lay on this floor. It's cold. Like, maybe there's a couch somewhere. And Jordan's like, there's one in the other room. So they brought me out there, and I tried to lay down on the couch. I was like, can you guys fuck off? Like, I just wanted to be by myself in the dark. And I couldn't get comfy on the couch laying on my back, laying on my stomach, laying on my side. And I can get comfy anywhere, generally speaking, but I couldn't get comfy. Then I was sitting up. Then I was, like, pacing and walking around. And I kept feeling, like, a heaviness on my chest, but it not oh my God, I got bricks on my chest. It just felt like it was a hurdle for me to get a full breath. So I could breathe pretty shallow, but when I wanted to like, I couldn't get to that high point. Like it was a struggle. You had to go over the hurdle to get to the high point, lock into the breath and then exhale and mm. stuff. 
the definition of shortness of breath. You just can't. I know that was one of the fucking yeah. symptoms and shit. Again, maybe it's just because I watch movies or Fred fucking Sanford. But like, <laughs> when a heart attack happens, you clutch your chest, you <laughs> wave your arm in the air. <laughs> exactly. Lamont, you, you, Lamont, you big dummy. Yes. You tell everybody what's happening, and then it happens. So, did you call anyone a big dummy at any point? Maybe that was the problem. That was the problem. Yeah. You big dummy. So I was sitting there. See, all I can think, I'm having a panic attack as we speak because I'm just in my head now. I've got a clock running on my head while you're pacing around this dressing room just wasting time when you should be in an ambulance. And Jordan and Emily are going like, do you want us to call a doctor? I was like, no, no, man, I'm going to be fine. Like, that. don't do that. And then after about 20 minutes, I said, um, maybe we should not do the show and maybe I need to see a doctor. And Jordan's like, we just called the ambulance. There's no doctors. It's Sunday night. We called the ambulance. I was like, the ambulance? Oh my God, this is embarrassing. I said, no, don't. Oh fuck. I was like, you know what? Fine. Okay. Uh, you know what? I will see. Uh, it, maybe somebody does need to check me out or something like that. So they showed up first responders and stuff like that and, and uh, found me in the fucking basement. And instantly they're like, how are you doing? What's your name? Blah, blah, blah. What are you feeling? What are the symptoms? Blah, blah, blah. So I was saying like, I can't catch my breath. I threw up a little bit before. I can't catch my breath. What were you doing? I was like, I just did a two hour show and I was about to do another one. Like, what'd you eat today? And I said like, I had a half turkey sandwich a while ago and stuff. Had some milk before. Maybe it was some bad milk. Like, oh, we're going to get checked. So lady medic or first uh, responder is a paramedic. Fire and fucking paramedic. Right. Right. So she starts lifting up my shirt to put the chest thing on to get your heartbeat ekg ekg and so i'm like whoa and pull my shirt down and she goes what are you doing we have to get this on you i was like yeah but we don't have to pull my shirt up to do it she's like yeah we do and i was like i know but i'm sitting this is the worst angle in the world let me stand up she's like can you stand and i was like not right now she's like well sit there and i'll put these on i was like can we get everybody out of here because like my shirt's coming up and these cats were looking at me like i thought they were looking at me like little fucking baby but they were looking at me like Bro, do you have any idea what's going on here? And right. nobody would say because that's not their job. Like, even if they know, they're not going to fucking tell you that's the doctor's gig. Yes. And also, it accelerates things and exacerbates things sometimes when you panic someone by telling them what they're in the middle of. And I think they were like, look how blissfully unaware he is. He cares more about his moobs than his dying heart. He doesn't want us to see his tits, but we got to see his tits to see his heart. <laughs> It's the price you pay. Oh, my God, dude. This Again, I said it on my thing. Like, my two biggest fears in life. One, death. Number two, anyone seeing my dick that I'm not married to. (laughs) Strangers. I don't want to be judged. Fucking small. And I knew I always avoided doctors and hospitals for that very reason. I was like, I've been there. They take your dick out in front of everybody. All your clothes come off sometimes. (laughs) I saw, I mean, it sounds going to sound weird to say, but I saw my father's dick all throughout my life because he was always in the hospital <laughs> wearing a hospital gown and there was his dick on display. So I was like, never that. <laughs> and so in my Did mind... Did he have it on the wrong way? No, You're he just didn't care. He was, he was kind of like a nudist. <laughs> like He didn't care. He would sleep naked and then if he had to get up to go to the bathroom, he'd get up naked, stroll to the bathroom, then go back to well, bed. You are not your father's son. No, no, bro. <laughs> I think it had the adverse effect on me where I'm like... I don't think I'd parade around if I had that little to show off. <laughs> I'm never going to be naked. My father, uh, just like me, I was cursed with my father's dick. Yeah, at, at least for, I never saw it in the, in, in the usable position, but I saw it <laughs> at rest all the time. Uh-huh. And it, it, throughout my life, and this is why I'm always afraid people are going to judge me, because I judge my old man throughout my whole life where I'm like, that dick is small. <laughs> why, would you, why would you let that hang out? Put on some pants and shit. So for me, I've got like the body shame issue. 
So I'm like, oh, no, you can't pull my shirt up. And the lady's like, we got it. And the guy next to me is like, you got to let her pull your shirt up, buddy, because we're going to put these things on you. In fact, I need you to lift your tongue up. I said, what for? He's going to put some nitroglycerin under your tongue. I said, what's that for? He's like, going to help you breathe and stuff like that. He did that like five more times throughout mm. the fucking trip. So then I started cluing in and stuff. And at one point, the, the, the guy whose voice I remember all the time talking to me and shit, he goes, uh, you're doing great, man. You're being real calm. That's going to help you get through this. And there was a dude behind him goes, it's going to help him save his life. And that was the first moment that I was like, what? What do you mean save mm-hmm. my life? Like, I didn't ask that, but I was like, that's curious. Why would someone say that something like that? caught my attention. Yeah, that's an interesting thing to say. Uh, when they brought up morphine, at one point they were like, uh, we got to get, in my head it was like 6,000 cc's of morphine. I'm like, what? But it was probably 60 or something like that. But they were like, I want a full needle of morphine ready to go. I was like, morphine, why? They were like, just in case. Like, are you in pain, Kev? Are you feeling anything right now? I said, I, honestly, I feel fine. Like, I can't catch my breath, but I feel weak, but I'm not like, uh, yeah, I don't. They're like, do you, does it feel like an elephant is setting on your chest? I was like, no. I mean, I feel a little bit of pressure, but I just, I have a hard time catching my breath. I was never in pain. Mm. And that's another reason I wanted to share the story so much because it's like, my ignorance, like, nearly fucking killed me. Look, my ignorance, like, my whole life of like, I'm going to eat whatever I want nearly killed me, but I changed my life a while ago and fucking got rid of that shit and lost a bunch of weight and I yeah. exercised. So I'm not like fucking, you know, cut like Ryan Gosling, but like, you know, I'm thinner than I ever been in my adult life and shit. So I wasn't piecing this together. I wasn't like, oh, this fucking, I think what I'm having is a fucking heart attack. Right. Had you been still smoking a pack a day and be another 70 pounds heavier and not exercising every day, it might have jumped to your to your mind quicker that maybe there was a problem. But you've been doing all the right things to keep this from not happening. From happening and stuff. So suddenly I'm like, oh, shit. And also my age was a big factor. I'm like, I'm 47. This can't be a heart attack. Even yeah. though I, you know, I know fucking people in their 20s have fucking heart attacks. But sure. I'm like, no, no, no. I mean, clearly I have something to worry about because my dad had died of a heart attack at 67. And my mom has two stents in her heart. But I don't have to worry about that until my 50s or 60s, I imagine. Like the shit that you tell yourself even though you're not a doctor. Right. Like, you know, we were just like, well, I know my body and blah, blah, blah. It was all fucking guesswork. Like, I never caught my dad's diabetes. So I was like, oh, shit, maybe I skipped the bad heart as well. Mm-hmm. Not the case. So uh, they go, Kev, we're going to bring you to the hospital. We're going to take you in the ambulance, bring you to the hospital. I was like, oh, really? They're like, yeah, we should check you. I want to hook you up to some machines. You ready to go? And I was like, okay. And they're like, we need you to sit and they're going to put you in this chair. And this was like one of my favorite parts of the whole night. Six times they had to move me and, you know, they get like four people together. They're like, okay, here we go. And boom, and lift you from a bed to another bed or mm-hmm. from like one chair to another chair. And then the chair lays back. And I remember I was in the operating room and they go, okay, we're bringing him over the table. Count of three, one, two, three. And they shift you over. So it's like a mini ride. So as soon as I got to the bed, I was like eight more times. And they go, what? I was like, let's do that eight more times. <laughs> and they all laughed and shit. <laughs> So I got to the, in, into the, they take me out the back of the theater, the Alex theater in Glendale. And thank God we were shooting the fucking, like everything, you know, for a reason, like of all the places we could have shot the special, uh, comedy dynamics is like, there's this theater in Glendale, the Alex that's really great and picturesque. And she, I said, Oh, I saw a movie there once a long time ago for a film festival and shit. They're like, we're going to shoot there. I know. Well, it's great theater. If I hadn't fucking been shooting in Glendale at the Alex, they would not have brought me to Glenville Adventist. They probably would have taken me to like Cedars or something like that. And I'm in Cedars, great hospital, but, uh, the Glendale Adventist, they, they excel at cardio. Yeah. Um, and so, of all the places they could pick, they had two hospitals picking Glendale. Like, let's take them to Adventist because they knew I was that I'd had a massive heart attack, and 
they couldn't, they didn't know that they suspected there was blockage because that's what creates a heart attack. Right. So they wheel me out and then you're sitting up in a chair. And then when they get to the ambulance, it turns into a bed and shit. So when they took me out, I remember seeing people like lined up kind of waving because they were going to be there for the next show. And they were like, we love you, Kevin. I was like, thanks and stuff. And, you know, I was fully dressed, had my hat on. And I think they told the crowd like he had food poisoning because they saw me throwing up. Nobody knew. I was working on this show. I was doing the Ralph Report at home and I got a text or a tweet from someone who said exactly that. So we're here to watch Kevin. It was a Sunday night and uh, they just took away in the hospital, in the ambulance. They said he had food poisoning. That was honestly, when I saw your text, that was one of the reasons I wanted to put up the tweet because I'm like, there's a few people like you going, what's going on? I heard something and shit. And I was like, oh fuck, like I got to make sure you know, it's you can sit there and fucking text every single person or you can use social media right. properly and be right. like, hey, man, I had a heart attack. So I'm, I'm in. They they get me into the ambulance. I, I barely remember the ride. Like, I remember because they were, I guess they started giving me something to keep me calm, but I wasn't uncalm. Like, right. But they were like, whatever they were doing, I... I don't remember the the ride that much. It felt quick. That's what I know. I was like, because I was mostly staring up and they kept talking to me and I kept talking and stuff. Then we get to the hospital. They wheel me into the ER and uh, it's like fucking Grey's Anatomy or ER. The show was just flurry of fucking activity. What's going on? What's blah, 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 blah. He's got this. All right, let's get him over the bed. One, two, three. And they ship me over the bed. I was like, wee. And then doctor comes in and is looking at me and fucking talking to me and, and measured, you know, taking chest, uh, you know, breathing the, was it the stethoscope mm-hmm. listening and shit like that. I think they did an x-ray as well. Oh, there's your shirt off. I kept it on <laughs> oh my and God. I'm wearing mind you at this point in the ER, I'm wearing not only just my shirt, but also my hockey Jersey on top of it with my fucking face on it. <laughs> I thought you were a lunatic. They must've, they didn't know who the fuck I was. I mean, look, I don't know who the fuck I am, but they were not like, no, Oh, it's the, silent. The Bob. guy who won't take a shirt off guy. That's, That's lunatic it. enough. That was my reputation. So they go, the guy goes, uh, Hey man, um, we're going to bring you upstairs, Kev to the operating room. We got to look inside of you. So, uh, we got to move quickly here. If that's, you know, don't worry. Like everything's going to be fine, but, uh, we're going to bring you upstairs as quickly as possible. Look inside. And I was like, okay, fair enough. And then I remember there's like 20 people around me and I keep going like, can you close the curtains? Like close the curtains, please. Jordan keeps trying to close the curtains and stuff like that. Cause there's a bunch of people who are just fucking staring right. and they're starting to tug at my clothes and I'm hard, holding on to my fucking clothes and stuff. And so this dude comes in. I remember this happened. One guy held up a cell phone and he goes, your wife is on the phone. Do you want to say anything to her? And that was the first moment where I was like, these fuckers think I'm going to die. That's terrifying. And I was like, tell her I love her. And, and then the doctor was like, we're going to bring a guy in uh, who's going to shave you down. I was like, what? And then the guy came in and he goes, uh, hey, so they go in through your groin for this procedure. So I have to shave your groin. And I said, oh, Okay. And he goes, so I'm going to need you to take your pants. I said, okay. And I'm trying to, I'm laying on the thing, trying to like slide my pants off and he's helping me and shit. And then he goes, and the underwear. And I was like, no, no. And he goes, well, I, I need you to take your underwear off. I said, bro, if I take my underwear off, I will have a second heart attack right here. I can't do that. And he goes, what am I supposed to do? And I was like, where you got to shave? Show me where you got to shave. And so he, he points like inside the crotch line between the leg and the crotch itself. No, not near on the dick, but just in the, right, crook, the groin. Yeah. groin. So I go, okay, how about this? I'm going to pull over my underwear as far as I can, and then you shave 
there and he, he's looking at me he's like he deals with the orderly for fuck's sake who's like bro do you realize you're dying like and then he was like i gotta do both sides of the grind i was like i can hold the underwear on both sides and so i what he was very pain in the ass you are i just didn't want him to see my dick <laughs> um so i let him do it i hold the fucking underwear to the side he fucking shaves me and shit like that and then they wheel me to the elevator and i'm looking up and shit like that and chit-chatting with him and uh I did stay calm. Like, even once I realized, oh, shit. Like, because the doctor was like, we're going to take you upstairs to OR. We're going to go in through your groin, take a look at your heart. And if it's blocked, like I think it is, we're going to have to do an angioplasty and put a stent in you. And I knew all this um, talk because my mother has had two stents put into her heart and stuff. She's had the angioplasty. She's had her heart catheterized. So, you know, I I was like, okay, these concepts make sense to me. I I understand. But I was never like, what? What? No, the only thing I was terrified about was them taking my fucking clothes off, people seeing me naked. That was it, dude. And I swear to you, there's a true story. At one point when the dude was like, I got to shave your fucking groin. I sat there weighing like, well, it's been a good life. (laughs) The price I pay. If the price I pay for not having someone see my dick is death, so be it. That was an actual conversation. That was my, my, you know, that thing with the like, would you rather get eaten by a shark or drown? I was like, oh, I'd rather get eaten by the shark. I can't possibly drown. People would see my dick. At least if the shark eats me, there's no evidence of my dick left over. <laughs> so I, which oh, which really should tell you how fucking shit, like my friend Vincent, who uh, I made, like Vincent was the guy who just inspired me to make Clerks. Like he was the first filmmaker I knew. Right. Where I was like, what? Vincent Pereira. And um, he, uh, uh, he lives in Michigan now. And he was texting me because after reading everything, he's like, is your dick really that small? These guys thought you were just telling jokes. And I was like, yeah, man, it's a, it's a real grower, not a shower. <laughs> that was the thing he was fascinated by. He's like, I just thought for decades you were pretending your dick How was small. How much does this guy hate his dick? I said, Vin, I said, cause he's like, what's it look like? And I go, when it's hard, it's presentable. You know, it has the look and appearance of a fucking fuckable like dick. A human penis. <laughs> I said, but when it's soft, bro. It's, it's like it's the Smurf house over the fucking hill that just sitting right on the fucking. It's all cap, no neck and shit. He's like, how sad for you. So so when I get up to the OR, the doctor, Dr. Leidenheim goes, why is his underwear still on? And I was like, I can't take my underwear off. He goes, get them off. And they come my underwear off. And I'm like, no, I don't want you. And then they're pulling off my hockey jersey and my clothes. They're literally trying to get me naked for this procedure. That's how operations work, Kevin. I don't know if you're familiar or not, but they they usually do it without your clothes on. I know, but dick out? Come on, man. Dick out, belly out, everything, man. Nude. And it's the, how they work on the human body. They need access to it. I don't know. I do everything in clothes. So, you know, I'm never very aware. So they get my shit off. They take my jersey off, and I immediately I'm struggling holding on to my jersey. And I'm I'm being drugged. They gave me fentanyl. I didn't know that after the operation. I was coming out of the OR and I saw Jen, and Jen's like, "Are you okay? Do they put you on drugs?" I was like, "No, no. I was awake for the whole thing." And the doctor goes, "Jen told me the doctor behind me goes, he's on a fuck ton of drugs." <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't realize it. Like I was kind of in and out of the operation. Hmm. Like you know, I would. Be chatty. He told me later on, Dr. Layden, I was like, my God, you wanted to know everything. He's like, you just talked throughout the entire operation. It was really hard to concentrate on your heart because you kept going, what's this? What are you doing now? Is my dick out? Like you were just talking about things that didn't matter and stuff. But um, he, he, when they took off my jersey, I was like, no, I need that. I lied. I was like, I need, that's my lucky jersey. 
And if I'm going to go through this, I'm going to need my lucky jersey. But really, I just wanted to use it as a modesty rack and cover oh, my, my fucking Lord. dick. And they knew that. And they took it away. <laughs> they should have knocked you out with one of, like a mallet, like an old Three Stooges episode. They couldn't, What dude. a pain in the ass. They put me on. I heard them say out of van. And then Jen said they put me on fentanyl. Like, clearly, they had to do something because I went and had an operation, which I've never had an operation. I've never been in the hospital in my life as a patient. I've never stayed overnight unless I was visiting somebody wow. or staying with Jen. So I went from zero to 60 where I'm like, oh shit, man. Like I'm literally having a major surgery right now and stuff. So for me, I was, I was present and I'm drugged. Right. So I'm half present. And I remember like nodding out, like just going to sleep. Well, they got this. And then wake up and be like, Hey man, are you guys done yet? And they're like, still working and shit like that. They don't want you out because like at a certain point when he was up me, which sounds sexy when I meant it. He's the doctor goes, all right, Kev, I'm about to open the vein, the artery. So tell me when the pressure relieves. Oh, I see. I said, okay. So you need to participate. I guess that was the idea. So instantly, like I felt the pressure just dissipate as if like there had been, you know, a fucking car on me and they slowly rolled the car off of me where I was like, holy shit. That's so much better. Oh, my God. That's the <laughs> fucking stuff I'm talking about. You can look at my dick all you want now. But it was, it's like if he showed me the image on the x-ray. You know how you got like a long balloon they make poodles with and shit like that? Yes. Imagine you blow it up, but not blow it up so it's inflated, but you just put enough air in it so that it's uh, rigid. Right. It The artery, the LAD, which is the left uh, ascending or left artery descending, they call it the Widowmaker. Right. That's the front the front artery that goes over the heart. It's the one that gives the heart its most blood and oxygen. So he showed me it, and the thing was away from my heart and like standing up as if somebody was trying to blow up the balloon, but not all the way, not like, right. but just to keep it stiff. And he's going, that's all the blood that's desperate to get through, trying but you have through. 100% blockage. I remember that. He's like, Kev, you got 100% blockage in this vein. I said, is that good? He goes, not at all. We're going to go in and stent you now. We're going to angioplasty. So bear with us. Whole time, never felt no pain. That's crazy. The only thing I felt in the OR was when he was closing. They have to go through your groin when they were closing the artery and closing my leg. I think they used some sort of like stapling device. And they had to do it a couple times because he was like, oh, hold on a little more. You're going to feel some pressure. Hold on. And it was never painful. It was just pressure. Right, right. Um, And then... That was that. Then they rolled me out. The guy was like, he told me, he was just like, you did it. He's going, you were so close to death. It was crazy. He was going, you had 100% blockage in your Widowmaker. I was like, what's that? He's like, that's the vein that kills everybody. He's going, you get that blocked, 50-50 chance you're going to live. Chances are more than 50-50 that you're going to die. He's going, that's the one. And he's going, you survived the Widowmaker. And I was like, well, you did it, dude. I remember a t-shirt. I survived the Widowmaker. <laughs> sounds like a roller coaster. It sounds too braggy, though. Yeah, really. But I feel like it sounds like braggy. It can't go around the world being like, I survived the Widowmaker because the heart's like, oh, really? Yeah, right. You uh, know, fate. <laughs> take two. Let's see if we can take this fucker down. But I do remember saying to the doctor, I was never scared, but when the doctor was like, we're going up inside your groin now to look at your heart, I said very calmly, I was like, doc, save my life if you can. He's like, I'm trying. And then he went to work and stuff. So it was never, easier I never, if I could take off your underwear and your Jersey. He's like, make it a lot easier with your fucking dick out. <laughs> so I, you know, I had talked about in the post and shit, uh, that I put up, like I, you know, at a certain point you're just laying there because they're fucking, he's going up in your body into your heart. And so you got time to fucking think. 
And in that time, I was like, do I bargain with God? And that seemed like pointless. Yeah. Like, you know, especially after Dogma, I said that seemed really pointless. I'm joking. But, you know, it was just like, I, I didn't, it wasn't a matter of pride. Like, I won't ask for anything. I just felt grateful. Like, I was like, don't presume on that friendship. Don't start, you know, talking to the void and, and begging for your fucking life. Like, if there is somebody out there or something out there, just thank that being force energy, whatever the fuck, for this wonderful ride. Because that's what I thought about. I was like, you thought it'd be greedy to even ask for more than what you had. Yeah, already like enjoyed. honestly, I'm, maybe it's because I was raised Catholic and, and I got a lot of Catholic guilt or whatever the fuck. But like, I like always. It's an like it's not embarrassing, but like I got so much for so fucking little. Like I made that movie, and it was really just a movie about me and my friends working in the store, and I made that for me, and. I wasn't expecting any of this. Like, I, you know, I want to make a film and maybe after that, someone will give me the money to make another film. But I never expected I would become Kevin Smith or that Kevin Smith or like the podcaster, the fucking filmmaker, the actor, all the fucking shit I wound up doing. I just wanted to make film. That's it. So everything has been gravy, you know, and I've always said that. Like, fucking, I tried to make Clerks. Everything after Clerks is fucking gravy. Like, I'm playing on house money at this point because career-wise because i never had expectations and then fucking i just went for the ride where i'm like oh i could do this oh i can do this i've never structured my career i've never had a five-year ten-year plan i was never expecting it so i've always handled it thusly mm-hmm. like a gift like oh shit like this is great but probably won't last someone later. gives you another gift and you get to open that one all up. and it keeps going and and to be fair you're responsible for extending that yourself you can't just wait that some people i guess can really talented people but like someone like me who was more of a heart player than a skill player, if you will. Like if I was a hockey player, I'm not Gretzky. Like I'm uh, hustling in the corners, digging the puck out. Totally. I'm like, I'm the fucking third line grinder. Who's like, I fucking live for this game. I don't, they let me out there for 20 seconds a night, but there's the, if if without those 20 seconds, fuck this life. Cause that's all I want. That's all I need. So for me, it's always been a matter of passion. Like I just follow the things that I like, like this seems fun. Let's do this. This seems fun. And because of that, I've had this like really like 25 year career that like I didn't expect, bro. I should have been working in some convenience store, maybe at the fucking restaurant or a post office. Like I don't come from people that do shit ever. And so the fact that I did and the fact that it went on for a quarter fucking century and I was standing there or laying there under those lights and motherfucker was putting a long tube up my body to get into my heart and maybe open the fucking artery and shit like that. I was like, you can't bitch you can't complain like what a ride fuck the career i had parents that never like well i was gonna say never fucked with me but literally never fucked with me so many stories you hear about kids who yeah broken childhoods like didn't have a childhood not just like they got touched but like alcoholic parents abusing yeah my parents like you know all my old man ever wanted to do was get married and have kids his dream came true like at age fucking 28 and shit and so he didn't think about career and shit. He just had a job. Post office was a job that he paid for his family with. And right. that was his chief aim in life was like, I want my wife and kids. That's, that's it. So those two cats, Grace and Don, were not wealthy by a stretch of the imagination. We grew up very, very, very lower, 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 lower middle class and shit near welfare stand. My mom was always proud when she never had to get food stamps. But we were fucking close. Three kids, two adults on a postman salary and stuff. Right. And yet my mom always figured out ways to like save money and we'd go to vacations, like drive down to Florida or some such shit. 
But that whole childhood, I got no complaints. Like, it's nothing but joy. They made me the person I am today. I don't get to fucking do any of this shit. Starts with Grace and Don. And I was the last one. And, you know, they'd prove themselves with the first two. So on me, they were like, here's scissors. Eat what you want. Have fun, kid. (laughs) And, you know, it, it was beautiful. I don't get to be who I am without them. So instantly I was like, fuck. Like, I was laying there going, if there is an afterlife, I'm going to see my father fairly soon. Mm. And at which point I'll be able to, you know, I don't know what one does in the afterlife, but if one can have a conversation, I'll be able to tell him like, oh God, it sucked that I left, but what a fucking life. And that's all because of you and your little dick. <laughs> right. <laughs> when I get to covered. I'm rubbing up, I'm fucking rubbing it in. I did what you never did, dad. <laughs> I covered my dick. I kept my dick hidden like a Smith should. <laughs> so I thought about my parents, thought about my brother and sister. And like how my brother was like my first audience and fucking like would laugh at things I said, made me feel clever. And that kind of thing is encouragement. Yeah. And my sister who like wrote in a notebook when she was a kid, I saw her, this marble composition notebook. I said, what's this? And she's like, I'm writing a book. It was a pic. She'd drawn a cover page. It was a picture of her and her friends kneeling around this like door, cellar door. And it was like the secret of the door or something. Secret of the cellar door or the secret mystery of the secret door or some such shit. I said, what is this? She's like, I'm writing a book about me and my friends. And I was like, you can't write a book. Like the government has to say that. You know, I was stupid. I was a kid. And she's like, anybody can do anything they want. They can write a book. I'm going to write this book. And, 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 you know, I don't need permission. Like I thought you had to be like every book I'd ever seen was. Came from somewhere else, right? From a store. The Department of Books. I assumed from the government. (laughs) So like I thought about that, like, oh shit, if that hadn't happened, maybe I don't think about writing like all the fucking dopey shit that had to happen to make me me right my friends my family all the people i've worked with i swear to you i thought about you i thought about all my podcasting pals about all the people that i fucking made the movies with and shit like that um my wife of course naturally first and harley and i was disappointed that this would all go on without me like fuck yeah like i like when you gotta leave a party because you got work or something you know, oh man but like i was not unhappy i was not in pain i was not like crying i was not like oh woe is me like i I know it's like not cool to bring up kevin spacey anymore but american beauty he has that moment at the end of the movie where he's like i was just so fucking grateful for my entire like pathetic life and in that moment i was laying there going like this was great Mm. like this is fantastic like and yes i would love this ride to go on further but bro Pay to ferryman. This is the best ride you ever had. And fucking that's it. And if it ends here in the room, it ends here in the room. Wow. So I was calm. That's a remarkable perspective. I don't think I would have that. I, I and don't get me wrong, it's not I'm not suicidal and I like living. But like I've I've always fancied myself the person that's like who knows when to leave the party. Mm. Like you don't want to be the last guy still hanging out and everybody's like, oh, still here. And I felt like Oh, this is my time to leave the party. And I'd done enough, dude. Like, I only ever wanted to make Clerks 25 years later. I did more shit than I ever imagined. I've gone on so many fucking adventures and uh, heights and falls, plummets, up, down, like everything. Mm. And I just felt like, well, the rest of your life, if you lived, it's just going to be kind of more of the same. And you've done this. And be happy that you got to do it at all. You got to do some shit people fucking dream or will kill themselves to try to fucking accomplish or get in their own lives. And it came to you all so easy. So if this is the price you have to pay for all that ease, 
checking out before age 50. That's how can you argue with that? Don't be shitty. Pay the bill. Like it's time. So I was Zen about the whole thing. Wow. And I remember like, I couldn't feel the shit up in my body or anything like that. Even though I've, I, I could feel something going on. I was in an operating theater and the fucking concerned faces and the fucking doctor telling me that I'm going to die. Um, I don't know. It was, it was all right. Like I was just like, okay, so I hope this works out, but if not, uh, this was fun. Oh my God, this was great. And, uh, as it turns out, the doctor, Dr. Leidenheim was fantastic. The Batman of fucking cardiologists just reached in and fucking with whatever the tools and shit and literally like saved my life. I was stunned. I came to visit you the next day in the hospital and you were sitting up and you were chatting with Jen and you're, Color was great and your energy was great. And you seemed like a guy who had gone in for a checkup more than gone in for a life-saving procedure. He brought that up too. And that's a something to important thing to communicate. When I was leaving the hospital, cause I was only there for 36 hours, 36 hours, dude, I literally almost died. They fucking, I had angioplasty. They put a stent into my heart and I was out in 36 hours. So I said to the doc, I was like, I can be honest with you. I feel great. He's like, well, that's because you're unblocked. He's like, think about it. For all this time, your heart wasn't getting all the blood and the oxygen it needs because you had blockage. And now there's no blockage. So it's fluid, blood flow. And I said, this is, I feel great. I said, should I be scared? And he goes, I said, no, is that a bad thing that I feel great? And he goes, yes. I said, why? And he goes, because the problem is back in the day, people used to have this problem. They'd come to the hospital and we'd crack their chests and we'd open their hearts and then we'd put them back together. And then they would convalesce for two, three months, four months because they realized they had undergone something massive. Mm-hmm. He's going, but now we got this shit down to a science. We go up your groin, we fix your heart. You can get out like within two days. He's going and people go, oh, that was easy. And then they go back to the life that they were living. And then they either come back here or they wind up in the cemetery. Yeah. So he's going, so what you got to do now is change your life. And I was like, bro, I already, if you're talking about diet and exercise, like I took off 90 pounds. He's like, I know all that. There's nothing to do with that. He's like, you can diet and exercise all you want. Your problem is genetics. He's going, you got you got your parents' heart. Mm. So doesn't matter what you do. And he's going, plus, you lost weight when? I was like, two, three years ago, I started taking off exercise. He goes, okay, 100% buildup in the Widowmaker? That started a long ago. time ago. Yeah. So it's good that you're taking care of yourself. But now we go really take care of you. You're going to see me. We're going to become good friends. You're going to see me once a month. You're going to be on pills for the rest of your life. I was like, really? Because I've never been a pharmaceuticals person at all. He's like, yeah, my mom is. My mom takes a cocktail of fucking pills all the time. I'm telling you, dude, I was like, after that procedure, I was like, I am closer and closer to being my mother. She got two stents. I got one. She got like 26 prescriptions. I got seven. So like trying to catch up with her. My mom goes, stop trying to be me, tiger. So he told me like for the rest of my, well, for six months to a year, I'll be on blood thinners to make sure that the stent doesn't get clogged up. Yeah. Last thing you need is a clog. Another, yeah, exactly. Um, And then- what else? Beta blocker. Uh, baby aspirin is a big fucking thing. Like you'll eat aspirin every day for the rest of your life now. Any statins? Blood uh, uh, for uh, cholesterol? Anything like that? Yes. Uh, Lipitor. Mm. So at night I take a Lipitor, and then I think there's a drug called Zestrel, which is a post heart attack medicine or something like that. So yeah, there's seven different pills I got to take, like three in the morning, four at night, or something like that. Did they talk about damage to the heart at all? Uh, I guess I'll talk to him when I'm going to see Doctor Leidenheim on Tuesday, but he didn't say 
Like, I mean, honestly, I'm like, and again, I don't want to fucking die. Self-diagnosis is how I almost wound up dead by being like, right. I had some bad milk. Yeah. But he did not. I don't think they would have let me out of the hospital if my ticker had taken some wear and tear. Right. Now, that being said, in the days since I left the hospital, I've been thinking about the times that I thought that I was congested with mucus from smoking weed. Oh, man. One comes to mind. This ain't so much congestion, but when remember when the video game came out, uh, uh, the Call of Duty, uh, Raven the Redwoods? Yes. And the folks were nice enough to make me part of the game. Right. So uh, my, I play a character in the game and shit, and they were like, we're going to play the game on, on Twitch. You come play with us and shit. And I was like, okay. I don't really play first-person shooter games. I'm like, totally fine. So I had the big screen TV, and there we are playing uh, the zombie game, uh, Raven the Redwoods. Right. And um, the guy who developed the game who's playing the game more, like, he can move around fucking fast and shit. I'm, like, bumping into corners, moving slow, and he's moving like it's, you know, fluid and wonderful, and it's constant motion. So it was supposed to be an hour thing, and 55 minutes into it, I started feeling nauseous. So I said to the dude, I was like, where's the, I'm sorry, where's the bathroom? And he goes, oh, we're almost done. We only got five more minutes. I was like, I know, but I got to go right now. I'll come right back, I swear. Don't finish without me. And so he goes across the, across the hall. So yeah, we were in a tiny little room. I left the tiny room, and I was feeling like I was sweaty, and I was mm. fucking feeling nauseous. And I got into the bathroom, and I felt faint. And so I was like, I'm going to lay down on this ground in case I fall. And I laid down on the ground, same way I did in, in backstage of the Alex, on my stomach. And then I got sick and I threw up bile. Like I wound up throwing up. And after I threw up, I felt 100% better. And suddenly I was standing. I was like, I don't know what the fuck happened to me. Oh, Jesus. And they told me, they were like, do you play games a lot? I said, no. They're like motion sickness. I said, what do you mean? They're like, these games, if you're not familiar with them, they, they fuck around with you. They give you some bad motion sickness. People don't play, play games on a regular. Sometimes they play a game, they get sick and throw up. And I was like, that's interesting. They're like, well, motion sickness is the body reacting as if it's been poisoned. So, you know, you throwing up is just that part and parcel with that. So I was like, oh, that makes fucking sense. Mm. Now, why would they know? They're not doctors. They're not supposed to tell me like anything other than like, you know, they're like, our best guess, you got motion sick. It happens. But now in retrospect, I'm pretty sure that I had a heart episode right. that day. And it was fast. It wasn't as long as this. But that figure sense. that was like less than a year ago. Maybe I was at 98% blockage, so some shit was getting through. So, And then Harley pointed out, she was like, we were in Florida in January, shooting Kilroy was here, and she's like, you said that same thing, that you couldn't catch your breath and your, your chest was heavy, and then you went and laid down for a while. And I was like, oh, my God, you're right. So this was not, I don't think, out of the blue. Right. I think, I think my body tried to warn me a couple times, but... Why it had to warn me at all is fucking ridiculous. As the child of two people with bad hearts, I should have been seeing a cardiologist from age 40 forward, if not even fucking younger. Yeah. But I've never been a doctor guy. Like, I'm just, I, I, again, don't want him to see my dick. So I, I tend to stay away. I'm never really that unhealthy. You know, Jennifer was just like, the entire time we've been together, like, you've had a handful of colds. I've never really seen you get sick. And mm -hmm. like, this was a big deal. So I think there were warning signs now that I think about it. Like, I think that day when I was playing the Call of Duty game, that was definitely, I had not a heart attack, but like, I'm, I an don't episode. Know. Yeah, some episode or whatever the fuck. Um, and, and that's why I wanted to share the story because in my mind, I'm like, oh, you'll know when you're having a heart attack because it'll feel like you're dying. I was dying 
and I didn't feel like I was dying. Mm. And they were literally, medical professionals were like, bro, you are dying right now. And I was like, no, because there was something in my head that it wasn't reaching up to. It didn't live up to your expectations of what a heart attack should be. I was like, I can't, if I'm having a heart attack, I should be in agony, right? And, you know, for whatever reason, no. So It's terrifying. We could all be dying at any minute and not knowing. As I've seen a lot of news reports since, you know, the story, like, traveled about me having a heart attack and shit and uh so a lot of news reports are like what is a widow maker you know now on five and live at five we're going to talk to dr oz about blah 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 yeah and you know they're putting up the fucking like hey man it ain't like uh an elephant sitting on your chest it's sweats it's vomiting it's a bad back it's hurt like your neck hurts like it's all this shit where you're like that's potentially a heart attack like i i only knew heart attack to be one big thing yeah. so check yourselves out kids um you i'm know. the opposite it's so funny because also family history of heart disease um but every time anything's wrong with me that's the first place my mind goes heart yes because i have sometimes issues with uh panic attacks or anxiety and i'll get a tingling in my arm or neck mm. i panic makes me worse um if my if i and i got back issues too but if my back is hurting i'm like oh it's probably my heart and i mean i'm all that's my default position to the point where it's my wife heart. says you're not having a heart attack. Just relax, take a Xanax or whatever. But it's, I mean, you don't know. That's the problem. It's terrifying. Any any potential symptom could be an indicator that you need to get checked out. I remember when uh, the Call of Duty thing was going on um, and they were like, hey, it's motion sickness. I was like, oh, man. I was like, for a minute, I thought I was having a heart attack. Huh. Literally said that out loud. Wow. Because I'd never felt that way before in my life. And then I just thought, I was like, oh, it's, it, I guess I've never been motion sick in my life. So that stands to reason. And again, I'm not saying like, those fuckers misled me. Like, they had no fucking idea. They were like being helpful. They're like, you probably threw up because you're playing the game. There's probably other guys who did get sick and there was motion sickness and that's all they knew. Crazy though. But um, yeah, it's uh, it's important to go get checked out, folks. Even if you're like, I'm healthy. You never fucking know. Genetics has a lot to do with this shit. Um, and, and, you know, there was a guy I was talking to yesterday, Brian, who's the producer of the comedy special. And he goes, I don't spend a lot of money on myself in life. I'll be honest with you. I don't buy big cars and fucking clothes or any of that shit. He's going, but every year I pay 10K outside my insurance to go get a full body scan head to toe because mm. that's the best money I'll ever spend. Because for that $10,000, I will know if something's wrong. And I was like, that's fucking smart. Yeah. I just never, now I'll become doctor guy. I'll, I'll hit a doctor. Left and right, not not hit him like fuck you. I'll, I'll go to the doctor left and right. The problem is a lot of people don't want to know though either. It it there there is a there's part yeah. of us I think that would rather not get the scan because God forbid there's something there and then I got to cope with it. It's easier sometimes to look the other way and say ah I'm probably fine and just move forward. Of course, because nobody like think about it. It's just like that commercial. I haven't got time for the pain. It's a big inconvenience to be sick. It really, really is. And we don't, you know, now because we live in an era of technology, like our grandparents would take a heart attack probably seriously. And the only reason they'd go back to work is because they're like, the depression, somebody's got to work. And right. then they go back to work. But we're so technologically advanced at this point that most of us just assume there's a fix for everything. Mm -hmm. And there's a fix for a lot of things, but not everything. Sooner or later... Fucking, there's some shit you just can't fix and it needs to be fixed by somebody else or you need to be looked after or something like that. And that is the first half of my conversation with Kevin Smith on Monday. We'll play the second half and what we cover on Monday will be, where do you go from here? 
What lifestyle changes do you need to make? How has this affected the way you look at your life, the way you make plans, um, how it will affect your work, your personal relationships? Really interesting stuff. I think uh, any of us would have a new outlook on life given what Kevin went through. And I think you're going to enjoy it. That's all on Monday. Thank you so much for tuning in to The Ralph Report. And don't forget, if you'd like to hear all the other great interviews we've done on The Ralph Report and all the great segments that we do, you can subscribe to The Ralph Report every day, Monday through Friday, delivered right into your ear holes by going to patreon.com slash The Ralph Report and subscribe and listen to us every day. Thank you so much for spending some time with us. Talk to you Monday. I love you. I mean it. Bye.